0: Hey guys, it's Robert. A few months back, I was out looking for some veteran-owned businesses that I could support and purchase their products and services. Rather than going out to say Amazon or something like that, I thought, well, how great would it be if I could go out and find what I'm looking for and at the same time frame, support some veterans. I found that challenge difficult. Mentorship Military decided to help promote veteran-owned businesses by creating a directory. It's the veteranownedus.com directory. So if you go to veteranownedus.com, and search for businesses, a product or service, you're going to find a local or national business that you can support. We're adding businesses all the time, so keep coming back because you may find what you're looking for if you don't find it today. If you're a business and you're not listed, join up. Go to veteranownedus.com and join up today. Again, whether you're looking for the product or service or you're a veteran owned business that wants to offer your product or services, Go to veteranownus.com. This podcast is sponsored by Uncanny, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran, LEO, and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message: Hashtag #OptNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium, small-batch products to America's best. Use code Mentors the number 4 MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. On this uh, episode, uh, joined by Don, by Mike, and by Zach, and uh, we have a very special guest. It's uh, Matt Williams. And Matt, first off, I would just like to welcome you to the Midrash Military Podcast, brother. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Oh, no, I mean, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, reaching out and, and having me on. It's you know, it's an honor to be here. I'm uh, still getting used to people wanting to hear what I have to say. So I can imagine. Hopefully, it's good.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I'm sure it'll all be good. <laughs> you know, when I was looking back at your background. I I started noticing that you you began in I guess it's called Born Texas. Is that originally where you're from,
1: Bernie? Yeah, it's a
2: nice. I know exactly where that's at.
1: Do you? Okay. Where is that? So it's uh it's right outside of San Antonio. Um, okay. Just basically west on I ten. I mean it's kind of I haven't been back in quite a while actually. Um, but I think it's more or less part of San Antonio at this point, from what I understand.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. And so now you went through high school and everything there.
1: As a younger kid, lived in Houston and moved out to Bernie uh, in elementary school. So basically, elementary school through high school there um, in that area, and then moved out, or I went to college out in San Angelo out in West Texas. Uh, and from there, I joined the military.
0: Going back, I mean, you got your bachelor's degree in criminal justice.
1: Yeah, I did. So, I mean, I, um, you know, back in, I graduated high school in 2000, so, uh, you know, Always had an interest in serving in the military or law enforcement, whatever. So I went criminal justice route, planning on going. You know, had big hopes of joining the FBI or something of like that along those lines. Uh, and then in college, obviously, September 11th happened, and I mean, for our generation, it kind of changed the landscape of of military service and opportunities that were out there. And then the country is kind of at need, being at war and all that. Um, so that's when I. Started looking around the military as an option. Um, I did did quite a bit of research. Um, you know, I was looking at the Navy for the the SEALs. I knew I wanted to do special operations of some form, so looking at the SEALs, uh, looked at Marine Force Recon. Uh, you know, this was the pre marsoc days, mm-hmm. and then uh, I found you know the Green Berets, the Army Special Forces, and I kind of liked their mission set, what they had to offer. Um, and they had the 18 x-ray program, which they still do, which basically allowed me to join, um, sign a contract saying that I would go to selection, uh, basically post. So I had to go entry school, airborne school, all that, and then had the opportunity to go to Fort Bragg and go to selection, you know, so pretty much off the street or whatever. Um, and it was an awesome, awesome path. Um, so that's kind of what i what i set my sights on from there
0: yeah so you end up going in now this is about uh september 2005 i guess it was is when you joined
1: that's right
2: yeah i just finished my team starting time in 2005. oh yeah and, uh, these guys laughing earlier matt because I, I was talking about holy shit this kid was an 18 x-ray in 2005. i worked out at camp mccall as the x-ray program was was kind of uh, brought online yeah and uh and i think we brought it online in 2000 late 2001 early 2002 um,
1: yeah,
2: that's about right. and and the first group of kids that came through was just awful terrible you know uh, because it brought a bunch of 17 18 year old kids in, maybe 18 19 yep. year old kids in and yep. then it really shifted focus toward um I think cats just like you right college graduates a little bit of life experience a lot more maturity uh, and then and then brought brought them in but man I I'd I left I'd already been a team sergeant rotated in and out of Iraq a couple of times and um I was on honestly when you <laughs> And Zach was making fun of me because I am so fucking old. I was a branch <laughs> manager. I was a CMF eighteen branch manager when you came out okay. of Duke. So oh, right? It's entirely possible that I processed your assignment to your first duty station in, in third special forces group.
1: That's yeah, possible. I appreciate it though because it worked out. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was my <laughs> nice. first
1: choice, so that was, it worked out. And well.
2: I just want to say, thank God you didn't become a SEAL.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I know. I mean, they, you know, they had the same program, but I couldn't do it. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the water, to be honest.
0: Didn't have the hair and the abs and everything else? Weren't ready to... Oh no, yeah,
1: as you can tell, yeah, the hair has been gone for a while. So they would have kicked me out by now anyway.
0: You weren't uh, aspiring to be a, an author or an actor or anything like that, I guess. <laughs> <Right>? No, no. <laughs> so uh, you ended up becoming a weapons sergeant. Was this something by choice, or how did that end up uh, coming down?
1: It was, yeah. So I, I actually got lucky um, You know, during my time. Like I said, my first choice was actually third group. They're basically, you, know, you rack and stack your assignments that you want: MOS, language, and group. Uh, and I knew I wanted to go to third group. I picked that, and then French as my language because that kind of coincided with third group. Um, and then weapons sergeant. So I, I don't even remember what my second choice was. It might have been, might have been medic. Um, luckily, they didn't think I was smart enough for it. I guess so, it worked out. So um,
0: why with third group?
1: Uh, at the time, uh, you know, they were they owned Afghanistan um, pretty much. And they I mean, we just kind of transitioned out of there four or five years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were originally Afcom aligned, uh, then kind of took over the brunt of, of Afghanistan at the time and shared most of it with Seventh Group and kind of did, did the back and forth with them. So, you know, I knew it was somewhere that was going to be you know where we, we you're surely going to go to Afghanistan and that's kind of I mean that's why I joined uh, you know to to take part in the the war so uh, third group it was
0: wow yeah
2: hey robert let me make a let me make a plug for third group cuz i think third group since its inception at least until Afghanistan really got a raw deal nobody wanted to come out of the q course and go to third special forces group <clears throat> and i think primarily because of the africa mission Right, I, I was I was the same way. I'm a tenth group guy, man. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to hang out at nightclubs in Eastern Europe, but, you know, and, and and you know, first group guys will tell you the same thing about going to Asia. I mean, it's just a, sure. it's a great environment. But I, when I was working at um, you got you might know this guy. When I was working out at Camp McCall, one of my um one of my partners out there was uh John Crenshaw. You you know John? He was he had second battalion third group. I yes, think, I do. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think for four years. That's right. Um, I'm pretty sure he's retired now, but John told me he goes in in no uncertain terms. He's like, if you want to do Green Beret shit, go to Third Special Forces Group. And he kind of yeah. cut his teeth on all those Africa missions, you know. And sure, and then yeah. and then while you guys were heavily engaged in Afghanistan still, and I was a battalion CSM, we had the third group mission or the the Africa mission. Right. So I, I deployed guys on JSets and the and the Coney mission and and mm-hmm. and the Horn of Africa stuff and all the all the uh, task forces out of West Africa for yep. the whole time I was a battalion CSM and, and he was right. I mean, when you go out and you visit those guys, they're living in austere conditions in the middle of nowhere with a huge partner force
0: mm-hmm.
3: and,
2: and they're getting after it. Just like you read about guys in Vietnam doing. So I, I yeah. think honestly, it, it was always unknown to a lot of us in the other groups, but third group is a great place to be.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, like I said, so we, we've kind of given up, not given up. We transitioned out of that, the Afghanistan being kind of lead on it. So we're back in Africa. Um, I actually just did a trip, uh, to West Africa as a team sergeant, and it was, I mean, it was a good deal. It was a, it was an interesting mission, a different problem set than we were used to. Um, but it was an opportunity to kind of take, you know, take what they give you, and and you know, the captain and I saw it for what it was and looked at it as an opportunity to do SF stuff. So we um, we expanded our partner force um, by a lot. Ended up kind of taking on multiple different mission sets and splitting the team and just kind of staying busy and having guys. You know, in small little groups just out there training and doing as much as we possibly could. Um, The climate's changed a little bit, obviously, uh, with some of the things that have gone on the past couple of years. But, I mean, it was still a good opportunity for for guys. It's not what everybody wants to do anymore. You know, everybody wants the Afghanistan rotations and and all that. But it's, I mean, it's still a valuable SF-style mission.
0: This timeline now, you're about two years into this whole thing, into um, your training pipeline.
1: Gradu- I actually graduated the, the key course in August of 2007. Uh, and then I got to third group early October. But basically, it was right around my birthday. So the first week of October, got there, and then left. Literally two weeks later, we were, was on a plane to Afghanistan with my first ODA. So it was in, it was an interesting transition.
0: Yeah, interesting uh, is an understatement. So. <laughs> So at this point, you know, like most guys that go 18 X-ray, you're already a buck sergeant, right? So yep. you arrive at the unit, buck sergeant, you're going on your first deployment, and then mm-hmm. you find out it's Operation Commando Wrath.
1: Yeah. So we did a uh, – so we actually got lucky that trip. We had the uh, first Commando Kandak, our battalion, um, and they were actually – they just gotten stood up by 7th Group, um, kind of – they vetted them or whatever, test them out, but they were the first operational battalion when we got there. So we basically had all of Afghanistan to ourselves. We, uh, we traveled quite a bit, um, did stuff in the the central, like center of the country. We went down South for a while, spent like a month or so down in Kandahar. Uh, and then once the next Kandak got online, we transitioned over to Eastern Afghanistan, basically worked out of Jalalabad, uh, for the most part. And that's, where we kind of finished off our trip um, out in that area. So that's where we ended up going on commando wrath was, you know, one of the operations that we ran out of that, out of that area.
0: Okay. So this particular mission though, you were supposed to be in the shock Valley and you were looking for high value targets.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So you had like about a hundred commandos with you.
1: We did. Yeah. So we, the way we kind of worked it, uh, you know, just a basic red amber green cycle, um, within the battalion. So, we always had a, a company that we were operating with. Um, so, yeah, it's about 100 Afghans at the time. And our team was actually uh, a, l- a little bit beefed up. So, um, you know, normally it's 12 guys. We had a couple extra Bravos, a couple of Charlies. We basically had an extra few of everything except medics, uh, believe it or not. Um, so, one medic. But we ended up with you know, on the team it I think it was 14 or 15 guys, plus, you know, a few extra attachments and a JTAC or CCT and all that stuff.
0: Kind of run down through the events uh, of what, <clears throat> what happened, I mean, when you guys got the, the call to, to head out to Shock Valley.
1: Yeah, so it's something we've been planning for a little while, um, it, you know, typical of of Afghanistan, especially up in the mountains, you know, it was a weather deal constantly, um, just battling weather and trying to get helicopters
0: it was cold snowy
1: it was cold yeah and there's you know in the mountains up there you know it's like you know mountains everywhere else the weather can kind of come in on a whim uh and and kind of screw everything up but we finally got the call to go um you know we're supposed to go early morning It, it kept getting pushed right as as it does um so we basically you know we finally everything lined up loaded up on the chinooks flew in um and they came Know, got to the valley we were going to land and we knew we were going to land in the valley and, and have to kind of get up this mountainside to the actual village that was on top of the mountain um we knew that going in and and for whatever you know all the planning considerations and all that taken into account it was just the way it had to be basically for that situation but uh helicopters kind of came to a hover um and i remember i was one of the first guys off and i looked we we got to the ramp and I looked down. We were like ten feet off the ground still, and I looked at the crew chief and I was kind of like, kind of gave him you know the a shrug, like uh, you know, you gonna like lower this thing or what? And he just looked at me and was like, you guys go. So I was like, oh shit. Um, so we kind of ended up bailing off the back of the Chinook. So they this rocky, you know, just boulders and stuff, kind of river dry. It was dry, but river bottom.
0: Anybody get um, hurt coming
1: out? Uh, I mean, not not bad enough. But yeah. You know, it sucked. I don't, I mean, I I don't know if anybody landed on their feet. (laughs) You know, Um, but, you know, it was just one of those deals. So, did that, finally got everybody off and organized and back into our our elements. And I was actually with the trail element was uh, myself, Team Sergeant, the medic, Ron Scher, who was also awarded the the medal for the same same day. you know, our commandos, a few other guys, whatever, were uh, in trail. Everybody else was pushing forward. And basically, by the time we got into the the valley, where we're kind of surrounded on both sides by mountains, and our lead element was almost to the mouth of the village, is basically when everything kind of kicked off. Um, so they were up about to the top in a gunfight. We were down in the bottom uh, taking fire from, from the hill, or from the mountain, excuse me. But, you know, the acoustics of it, was uh was kind of the worst part because it seemed like it was literally coming from both sides so for a while we thought we were literally getting shot after both sides um which you know made it all that worse because we had you know probably still 50 60 guys in the river bottom itself and then everybody else halfway at the mountain um about that after that happened we basically got got the radio calls that we had two guys wounded um so team sergeant scott he hollered for Ron, the medic. I was like, hey, we got to get up this up this hill uh, and get these guys. So I, I actually hollered out to Scott. I was like, hey, you want me to come? I had the heavy weapons squad with me that day. So I was like, I'll bring my commandos with you. Um, he's like, yeah, let's go. So we ran across, crossed the river, and made our way up and found the first two guys wounded. And they were kind of all pinned down with uh, the C2 element. So it was the captain, uh, the CCT, the um, Two combo guys, a combat camera guy, um, all kind of pinned down behind this little tiny rock outcropping on the on the terraced part of the mountain. Um, the two guys that were wounded were both, it was actually one of the intel intel guys and a, and a combo guy uh, had both been shot basically in the in the legs. So the Dylan had been shot basically in the head of the, hip, the femoral or head of the femur, right in the hip area there. Uh, and then Luis was actually shot trying to help him. Um, he got hit in the ankle, uh, and the leg uh, and stuff like that. Um, so Ron, again, like I said, being the only, only medic, got there, started treating those guys. Um, our combat cameraman quickly jumped in to help his camera had been shot already. So he was, he was a, a soldier again, uh, pretty quick. Uh, you know, and then we basically what we we're going to do, we were just, we we're going to consolidate at that point and get these guys down the hill the best that we could. And then, basically try to continue mission. Um, Cause at that, at that point with two casualties, you know, it's a bad deal, but yeah, you know, it's not a deal breaker yet. And, and we were better off getting in the village at this point and trying to at least, you know, get into a structure and fight out of there. So that's what, that's what we were going to do. I actually went back down about halfway down the mountain uh, to start calling some guys up. And we were basically going to try to hand over hand these guys down and just get them in a secure area and then continue to fight. Uh, while I was doing that is when Scott, the team sergeant, and then another combo guy got shot. Uh, so that was John. John got hit in the shin, and it basically amputated his leg uh, right below the knee. And then Scott was hitting the plate and the arm. Um, so I went back up there to where they were. And Ron's working on all, the other, all three of them, and Scott's got a tourniquet on, and he could walk. So I grabbed him and helped him down the mountain and passed him off to one of the other web sergeants, uh, take him down. It was like a little goat pen at the bottom of the hills, take him down there. It was a hard structure, hard enough, um, get him put in there. And then we were going to, at that point, go back up and try to get these other guys down. Um, anyway, kind of day kept going on and they obviously, they, they pinned that location down pretty well. I mean, they, obviously they found, you know, they knew that's where we were, so they were just hammering it pretty hard. And, uh, I mean, the ground was just, like, tore up with, you know, bullets and everything. Were they hitting um, you from
0: both sides? Uh, did they?
1: Well, I mean, so this part, it was, it was basically like an L-shaped ambush at this point. Yeah. Because the way the mountain went, so it was terraced up all the way, right? So you kind of go up a while and then climb up a little bit and then continue up. Um, so there was a village basically to our front, and then high above us to the left was also village and houses and stuff. So they were able to kind of maneuver in that area and kind of pinpoint us the best they could, you know, and the best defense we really had was air. Um, I think mean, last I heard we dropped something like 70, something just danger, close bombs. And, and then a whole bunch more of, you know, gun runs and all kind of stuff. But, uh, so we kind of, the other, so web, the other Web star and Seth Howard, and myself, um, after i mean it had been i don't know how long it had been and we kind of lost communication with those guys up there so we were you know we were kind of talking like hey look we got to go get them one way or the other uh you know we're we're either going to start sliding dead bodies off the side of the mountain or 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 they're up there and we're going to help get down with that you know either way uh it's pretty much got to happen um so i knew from since i've been up there several times i knew that the way we had gone was obviously not going to happen um They'd already shot at us pretty, Seth and I, um, quite a few times from where we were kind of had a little bit of cover anyway. Um, You know, Seth almost got hit, almost got hit a couple of times. So they kind of found us as as well. So we found kind of a, the the cliff kind of went around. So we basically kind of hand over hand climbed, like kind of scaled laterally this cliff face uh, and then found a little outcrop and we were able to climb on and climb up to those guys. Uh, Luckily they were still, everybody's good. Um, you know, no other injuries than the ones we had. Um, we had an interpreter that was killed early on and a couple Afghans with minor injuries, but that was really it. And, uh, Dave Sanders had actually found a route down the back of the mountain. Um, and so we started lowering everybody down. Uh, Seth and I kind of laid up there. He had a, he had an SR 25 with him and he was kind of laying down cover fire. We were moving everybody down and then basically exfilled the backside of the mountain, um, and then once that happened, we were able to kind of like, had to fix the captain's radio, obviously, because, um, you know, captains are terrible with radios. But once his radio <laughs> got back up, he was able to kind of get on the horn and, and uh, get some medevacs called in. And the medevac pilots were awesome. Like They, they came in, I think, for sure. One one bird got shot up pretty good, I think, when the pilots got hit. Um, but they came in, put it down the best they could, landed, and we were able to load all four casualties and a couple of other, minor wounds load them up and, and get them out of there um and then after that it was just basically a kind of you know let establish security you know protect ourselves the best that we could and, and continue dropping bombs and then you know move out for Rexville. um so that's kind of the long and short of it i guess
2: <laughs> when you guys came in um were you expecting a, a short mission did you guys come in with rucksacks how's that look
1: so no yeah we didn't have any rucksacks um it was just it was going to be a you know, a day thing, um, get in, get it done and then get out. Uh, we were, we were able to stain ourselves for the day, of course. Um, but no, it was not, we're not, we didn't plan for an overnight deal and it was you know not, not going to be, um, come to find out after the fact, uh, the, the HVT we were going after was there, but so was a, another one. Um, and that's why security was, they had security so high. Um, you know, the, end around estimate i think it was a, a couple hundred of them um and so they were you know not not waiting for us necessarily but when they heard us coming they were ready um and that's kind of why the situation went the way that it did um you know it's kind of just one of those deals as you know we we're obviously the right place at the right time uh, it's not the didn't work out the way you wanted
2: it to you talked about um Lots of gun runs and and dropping bombs, danger close, and everything. Mm. Uh, did you have enough basic load on you, or did you get resupplied ammo throughout the day?
1: No, we did. Um, the good thing for us too at that point was so all the Afghans had in fours, um, and and those dudes carried more ammo than anybody could ever need. I mean, I think I mean they were carrying like fourteen, fifteen mags apiece. Um, so we were actually able to carry our basic load and and knew that we were. We we'd have ammo basically where we needed it. Cause that's you know we had 100 plus guns, and and they all had all their mags and ammo. So that was the nice thing about being with them was that they had all of our own weapon systems. So, right. you know, it was it as easy trade off if needed.
0: So did you guys ever get the uh, the two HVTs? Uh,
1: no, we didn't. Um, I know, I know the one. Uh, he ended up getting killed later on. Uh, several years later, actually, I found out on uh, a different deal. I actually, don't even know the the story behind it. Um, but no, we were not. We didn't get him that day.
0: You know, Ron, you mentioned earlier um, was there as well, and as was the only medic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of his story, of course, is that you know he's he's there running along with you, and both of you guys um, were trying to to save these guys going taking them back down the mountain and everything else. And I guess they're from the, you said you was a heavy. So you end up having what five, uh, five total team guys that ended up becoming casualties. And then, so it left you with about 10 guys still.
1: Yeah. I mean, he did like, like I said, only medic on the ground. And that, I mean, that's the biggest testament to, to him as a medic and, and really to SF medics in general is how well they're trained and what they're capable of. I mean, he had one aid bag and, you know, three for sure life threatening casualties. Uh, and then one that definitely could have been, um, you know, and everybody got home and everybody's fine, uh, you know, as fine as can be, um, and doing well, living, living life, doing great things. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's an, actually, that's an amazing story in itself for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, what you, what you did, I mean, I think we're all amazed at being a buck Sergeant and so new with this being your first deployment, um, I mean, it's it's nothing short of amazing, to be honest with you, Matt. I mean, it, I was, uh, I think, all of uh, 19 years old when I pinned on E5, and I I probably didn't have maturity, really, until I became about 24, 25 years old, relatively young. And, I mean, now being a master sergeant, you get a chance to see some of these young guys that are E5, and you look at them and go, oh, my God, that was that was me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No,
1: it's, yeah, it's definitely strange. I mean, I think, you know – yeah I mean it has to do with you know life experience and uh I mean the way I was raised honestly you know had a lot to do with it you know my dad kind of taught us at a young age for sure uh you know just work ethic and loyalty and and all that stuff and and it's you know all that stuff just kind of comes to play I think you know subconsciously and it's you know that day you know anybody's ever been in a firefight with with really anybody it doesn't matter who they are you know they're they're your brother at that point and you know it's really a no brainer that you're going to do whatever is needed to make sure that everybody's safe and and can, can get out of harm's way. Um, You know, it's not something that you even really think about or should have to think about. It's, it's, it's second nature and it's kind of, you know, it's what you sign up to do. um, You know, really.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things that you've now um, started passing on to some of the young guys, you know, to to some of those E fives and E six that are now coming in as 18 x-rays.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, the biggest thing, like so I said, so I just actually just left, uh, handed over my team a couple weeks ago, uh, so I'm not a team sergeant anymore. But it's kind of a, it's a pretty big bummer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Um, but no, it's one of the biggest things I try to do, and it's something I learned too from from Scott. Uh, you know, I guess I like to in our in our community. Uh, you always, you remember your first team sergeant. For sure. Uh, whether he's a good one or a bad one. Um, luckily, I had, I had a really good one. Scott was an awesome team starter and a, a great mentor. Uh, and a lot of stuff I learned from him was basically, you know, you put, put the onus on the guys, put trust in the guys. And, and I tried really hard early when I took my team uh, a couple years ago. Was, um, our first training exercise we did was out in um, NTC. And I'd i been with them for uh, about a month. Uh, we did a cephalic together, um, which is Special Forces uh, advanced serving combat course, so basically like CQB and marksmanship and stuff like that. I did that with them and then we went out there. Um, and uh, actually a few of my seniors weren't able to make the trip, which actually, you know, worked out well. Because uh, I told them, you know, look, I was like, look, here's the deal. This is kind of our first first kind of thing. It was our PMT, but I still I wasn't that concerned about it. And I said, this is, I'm going to let you guys do your job. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to get into your business. I'm not going to micromanage you. Uh, you know, here's the mission. Here's the intent. This is our situation, and so execute basically. Um, and I've just put the onus on them. Um, you know, to be professional. You know, we like to consider ourselves, you know, in our such forces of the quiet professionals. Uh, and I think the professional word uh, gets thrown around a lot, but doesn't really get executed as well sometimes um and that's one thing i kind of learned early was if you want somebody to be professional then treat them like a professional um and give them that opportunity to be a professional and then most guys will Uh, you know you always have those a couple guys that you know for whatever reason won't step up to the plate but they weren't really gonna hack it anyway um you know guys that join our community join the special operations community in general you know most of them understand what they're being asked to do and have the inherent professionalism and maturity to handle it. It's just letting them do it. Um, It's, it's kind of hard and it's easy to get sucked in as a team sergeant to micromanage because you want everything to be perfect. Um, But I've just kind of found that I'm, I I don't like being micromanaged. uh, And so by no means that I want to be a micromanager. Yep. And I, that kind of found that brought us, it brought the team a lot of success actually. and, And it lets guys be a little bit more inventive, uh, think outside the box and, and solve their own problems. Um, and that's, you know, like I said, I learned that early on, and it's something that I try to still imply, uh, you know, impart on the young guys today.
2: Hey, since, since you're talking a little bit about leadership, I'd like to kind of ask you how that event um, in which you were awarded the medal kind of shaped your decision-making, maybe from a planning perspective, as you as you were looking to, to plan operations yourself as a team sergeant. Sure.
1: Um, you know, from a planning perspective, of course – uh, you know, it's easy to, you know, hindsight's obviously always 2020 and there's always, you know, when something extraordinarily bad happens, there's always a better way to do it, you know, the next day and all that stuff. But, you know, the biggest thing with planning, um, is, is really just keeping it simple, honestly, is, is some of the, the best thing I've, I've learned, uh, and, and what I kind of still think about today is when you start getting in the weeds and, 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 and coming up with ridiculous ways to do the simple things that you've done a thousand times, just because you want it to be new, that's when you really run into problems. Um, so, you know, the you're taught from an early early on, um, you know, specifically in the army, whether you go to Ranger School, any leadership schools, the Q course, whatever. I mean, you're taught the basics and the principles of patrolling and all those things and all the battle drills, and and all those things were designed and written to be. Utilized in combat, and those things are all successful in combat if you employ, you know, put them in the right places at the right time. So, and that's the biggest thing with that is just keep it simple and and you know, do the things you're trained to do well, and you'll be successful.
3: You were speaking of that NTC, and even on the conventional and the conventional army on that side. I remember as a platoon leader, um, we had one of those when it's time to go to NTC. You know, they want to take, you know, make sure everybody goes and. And mm-hmm. He had some guys that wanted to go to Ranger School, and there also was some NCOs schools. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of made that point and pushed it up higher that hey, these guys need to go get professional developed too. And at the same time, these younger guys can, you know, that next man up can learn because that in the big Army side of that, it was really NTC is a systems is where you get you really mm-hmm. evaluated on your systems at the brigade and battalion level. Yeah, sure. you're going to do tactics at the – at the company and platoon level, but you know what better place for her to go train to know? Oh, this is what I've got to learn. They kind of get a self-assessment out right. of that too. So that was yeah. That, that really made our platoon uh, was a very cohesive platoon after that deployment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know I think a lot of times people overlook the value and and those kind of things. It's it's really a, it's a no fail training exercise. You know, what I mean it's it's your opportunity to put. Put the young guy in charge and let him let him see it. See what happens. You know, he's either gonna be successful or he's gonna or he's gonna to totally shit the bed. But either way, he's gonna learn from it. And you know, that's the time and the place to do that kind of stuff. You know, NTC specifically. Um, for us, we do like more uncommissioned warfare. We did uh, exercise out there, so right. Uh, it's a little more tailored to us um, at the time. But you know, still, it's an opportunity for the young guys to get out there and do the things that they you know, they've been taught to do and actually put it to practice, you know, and no one's going to die from it
0: think there's going to be a lot of young guys that either haven't joined the military or maybe in your exact same situation that are in a unit, either the conventional army or within, um, you know, special operations, just going to hear this. And and it's more about, I think, the lessons that you took away and what you're now sharing as a leader. That's most important that I took away from this whole thing, because, um, you know, focus on the moment, focus on the needs at hand, take care of your people and don't don't sweat the big stuff, you know,
1: right?
0: that that's huge.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's something I've been, you know, try to get apart. Is like, you know, there's n- nothing's that big of a problem, uh, you know, and, and stop dwelling on, you know, look at look at the situation and, and solve it. You know, we don't need to worry about why this is happening or who's doing what and all this nonsense. It's, you got a problem, then fix it because it's not going to get any better if you don't.
0: Yeah, I'd love to have had you as a uh, team sergeant or an NCO back in the day because most of the <laughs> most of the guys they didn't think the way you're thinking. You know, they they were very different. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I learned, I probably learned how to be a better leader because of the failures of the leaders that I had along the way. I had a few of the good ones, but the mm-hmm. the failures taught me a hell of a lot more.
1: No, I, no, I mean, I tell you that's hundred percent though. That's something else I tell people is look, every leader or, or, you know, everybody you interact with specifically in leadership role has something to teach you, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. some yep. some of them are good and some of them are bad, but even the bad ones have something to teach you. Yep. That's you know? it's, those lessons are, are sometimes more important to take away than than all the good ones honestly
0: yeah it's the action that you take from that right uh if you get frustrated and decide ah this isn't for me and you end up just checking out but that's not the right approach so it's it's all in how you handle those situations so no 100 percent. yeah sounds like you've handled them quite well and you've learned from them it's always good that you also have a good mentor in the very beginning so uh scott was a good guy it sounds like that really taught you guys well and obviously it's left a lasting impression Sounds like, you know, that's the same kind of legacy or same types of things that you're trying to do today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we definitely got lucky.
0: Yep. Matt, wish you nothing but the best. And again, thank you for coming on the show.
1: No, absolutely, Jim. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and you know, wanting to wanting to hear what I have to say. Yeah, appreciate it, Matt. Yeah, it's absolutely. great, great talking to you, Matt. Thanks a lot, guys.